Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Shields are up, and we're at red alert. Hello, David. You're at the helm right now? Yep, and I have torpedoes ready, Captain. Take us through uh, a quarter impulse. Yeah. Don't warp into the sun. Gotcha. (laughs) Prepare to fire aft thrusters. And um, let's do the Picard maneuver right into uh, seven of nine. <laughs> Is that a thing? The Picard maneuver? I think that might be a new thing. Uh, you know what? Let's do the Michael maneuver. The Michael right maneuver. into uh, seven of nine. <laughs> hey, it's my slash fiction. And you know, David, there's going to be all types of new slash fiction now. Now that we have Sutra. Oh, it's going to be a thing. People are going to be writing things. And when I mean people, me, I'm pointing here. Sutra and Dodge and Soji. It's going to be an entire fanfic spectacular. Oh, absolutely. And then Seven and Nine is going to arrest them and assimilate them. He's all, freeze. Resistance is futile. Spread them legs, girls. I think that's Star Trek Triple X you're thinking about. Oh, slash fiction. I'm a writer, Dave. I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today we're going to be talking about Star Trek Picard episode nine of season one at in Arcadia. Ego. Uh, the opening scene of this episode, Dave, is exactly why we pay to watch this show. Holy poop. That was amazing. It was when the Borg cube came out of the trans warp conduit. <laughs> that was. I mean, it's just a bit beautiful. Of a surprise. Yeah. Well, yes, it is a surprise. But just the way it happened and just busted through, we would never have seen anything like that in the old days of Star Trek. No. And if this was just on regular CBS, we wouldn't have seen this. So when people complain about spending, you know, six ninety nine to watch Star Trek, this is what you're paying for. Yes. I mean, this is a this is cinema quality visual effects, right? Oh, the visual effects in this episode were definitely a plus Dude, it's, it's amazing it's amazing it's just amazing work the uh orchid oh ships. those those flying like flowers that they, that took them down now are they alive that one i'm not sure i I'm, almost wish there's some type of organic life because i doubt it because you gotta remember this is a synth yeah world. that's true because i know we've seen organic space faring ships in star trek yeah Many times. And dude, if they were to do that, that would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right. So this episode brought many things together. Some pretty big reveals that borderline on simply fan service. Let's just call it how it is, uh, such as Dr. Soong's son, Dr. Alton Inigo Inigo Soong. I have some thoughts on this later. Later. It, it yeah. did bring the emotions up a notch, though. I will say it does. that. It does. <laughs> also, the internet went abuzz with the potential handing of the torch to a certain character during a scene. We'll talk about that. And Sutra. Sochi's super hot sister unlocks the secrets of the admonition by mind melding with Agnes. And Narek becomes the pawn as Sutra uses his escape to justify violent actions. So we now have a villain. A- and we have Lore 2.0. Yes. The, essentially, that's what Sutra is. Oh, she, dude. The moment she popped on screen, I'm like, oh, you bad. <laughs> you all bad. And I like it. 
I'm such a pervert. The moment she pops up, I'm like, hello, what have we here? <laughs> I got super happy. I became alert. I sat up straight. I loosened my belt. There's something there's something about I, I love know. evil women, I think. I think that's yeah. what it is. This one, this one's like rivals Sutra rivals, you know, like someone like the Borg Queen. I never was into the Borg Queen though, because she was a little too messed up. Yeah, but I mean, like, but there was something very sensual about the Borg Queen, absolutely, yes. and that was the point. That was the point. I mean, when she was, didn't she lick Picard's ear? Yes. Or no? Wait, wait, no. She was blowing oh, no, on no, no. the skin. She did. She did that. To she was blowing Dana. on Data's skin. Yeah, like she was giving him a blowjob. <laughs> was it good for you too? That's right. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah, so there was a lot of pieces of the narrative coming together in this episode, but it was relatively easy to follow despite the, um, I don't want to say convoluted, but despite the the many moving pieces, it was a relatively easy episode to follow, which was which was a pleasant surprise because when you have a show that's been kind of holding, they've been sandbagging a lot, it feels like, for the last eight episodes. Yes. And then, boom, here we are. I expected it just to be like Shea band just oozing jizz all over us. Ah, we're here. Finally, take it all. <laughs> but, but again, pleasant surprise. So there was a lot of pieces of the narrative coming together in this episode, but it was relatively easy to follow. The emotions were high when it comes to Picard, but I can't help Dave. I cannot help and feel a bit cheated that he's sharing these moments with characters. We don't know. Yeah. I honestly feel just like what you did is like the emotional moments with Picard should be done with characters that we feel Picard should share those because they're they're really close to him. This other side of Picard, the more sensitive, the willingness to share his feelings, it's cool and it's it's a welcome to see Picard grow as a as a person right as a human as we know that was the way he was introduced way back in the very first episode of tng this this image of self-discipline and and i will not show my emotions i keep everything bottled up i mean even uh, an episode we recently discussed on our patreon feed uh, about ensign rose betrayal yeah he didn't utter a word but you could see the pain in his face because of that betrayal he would not say a word though completely sealed Completely sealed. So to see him grow like this is awesome. Yeah. Because this is a character we have followed for how many years? 30 some years. Yeah, but I believe this, so. But it would have been. But again, I, I feel cheated because this should have been these feelings. This growth should have been shared with his original crew. Yes. And I honestly feel that that's this is where characters like. What we got from Troy and Riker that episode, we should have actually been delving what we've been delving into in this one. I agree with some of those emotions and and the utterance of why didn't Riker say, I love you? You know, that should have been between them. You get right. Yeah. Because like when I listen, I like Raffi. I like Raffi, but but there's no, let me put this into perspective. Let me, let me put my thoughts into perspective a bit better, okay? Imagine you take Captain Kirk off the Enterprise, Cisco off Deep Space Nine, Janeway off Voyager, and you put them in a new show, and you don't necessarily build rapport or camaraderie with the new crew, but you tell us that they've known each of them for years. And we see this entire evolution, groundbreaking character development, and is experienced with new faces that we don't know. It cheapens the it cheapens the 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 storytelling. Yeah, it really does. Right, and I really like Raffi. I I do. She's a great addition to Star Trek. But that character should have been replaced, with all honesty, with another one of our TNG crew. It should have been Jordy. It should have been Worf. It should have been Deanna Troy. It should have been one of the characters. Now, the I'm not saying bring back the entire TNG crew by any means, but why Raffi? We should have had next to Picard to help to share in his growth as a person emotionally should have been someone who's been by his side. 
yeah. that we have seen by his side it's because like, it would have meant more for us. It, I get what they were building with Raffi because they throughout the entire series they were trying to force this whole relationship with Raffi that they were very close comrades. She was helping him with the Mars thing, right? And and, and, and also, let's again, fourteen years they've known each other at least as far as we know, right? Yeah, like, that's a long time to be to be friends with someone, and it's probably equals in re, in in reality. It probably equals the amount of time that he spent with Riker on the Enterprise. Yeah. Okay. Seven years plus a few more years with the movies. So, yes, you can definitely build that relationship up. But as a fan of the show, it's harder to swallow when we don't know that face. We don't exactly. share the rapport. Part of writing a show like this, especially with with classic characters like Picard, and it, it, this goes for any franchise, we have to share in those feelings. And it's, it's better to get us emotionally invested and bring the viewer in when we share that rapport with the individual that they're opening up to. And if we don't share that rapport, there's something that's lost. And like, I'm sorry, up, up to this point, if you were to replace Picard with anybody, any character, just even a brand new character, would it affect the story any? I don't think so, honestly. Yeah, and like you could put any other character besides Picard in here, but now if, to me it feels like the only reason why you put Picard here is because you want to bring in that audience of the fans and say, right. hey, nostalgia berries, here we go. Mem- uh, member berries, have at. Yeah. And it, well, I, I don't disagree with you. I don't feel like Picard's really the lead of this show. It's yeah, called, he's it, not even the lead. And listen, that's fine. I get it. I understand that you can't have a, an 80 plus year old man as a lead of a science fiction epic. No studios going to sign off on that. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. And th- this isn't me being, you know, showing a form of ageism because I, I love old leads. I, I can relate to older people better, to be honest with you. But studios would never sign off on that. They just don't do that. And that's why you have the younger, more attractive crew but you should have called it star trek picard yeah don't call it star trek picard then if the story itself is not really it's not even really about picard he's the backstory that was used to set up the first season the first season and honestly the story isn't about picard it's about soji it's about her sister yeah yeah so i mean like because agnes crying that Picard is dying. I just don't buy it. She doesn't even know him. <laughs> Pretty like, much. That's why these characters should have been replaced with other characters that do know Picard. Very strange, Dave. Very strange. strange. And we'll get into all of these things and more. But first, Dave, I think we kind of get it. But give me your initial thoughts in under 30 seconds. Under 30 seconds. Here we go. I don't like this episode. Oh, David, Sorry. shame on you. This was awesome episode. <laughs> I honestly feel this was a breaking point for me in this episode. There are a few positives. I do like the fact that basically just like what you said, they kept the they they tried to keep this part one simple and to the point. Get us to part two. Okay. You 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 got us through that. You got us through that. That shows some confidence in there. And it does what a part one should. Honestly, if you look at like any any television show and you see like back to backs, like part one and part twos, especially like, say, for example, like Discovery. Uh, I remember me and you talking about how it's imperative that part one episodes have to set up. Part two is the is honestly the conclusion, the the, the big payoff. We're not supposed to expect a big payoff. Here. David, just to interrupt you, just for a second, there's going to be a big payoff in me, in my, in me, in my uh, Sutra and Soji slash fiction. <laughs> there's going to be a really big payoff. It's I promise. A, it's a big, big payoff. Yeah. So just stay tuned for that. Go ahead. But so part one did its job. It got us through it got us through the story we now know what's going on we see a viable threat we see a viable conflict that's brewing into part two now okay 
but my initial thoughts for this episode it is the only episode only episode that I've uh, I've watched in all the recent Star Trek where I can't watch it a second time. So wait, hold on a second. So this is you dislike this episode more than episode uh 7? Is that the one? Yeah. Is that the one we had a problem with? Yes. I I would put this below episode 7. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this episode was directed by Akiva Goldman. So if you want to uh, write him some hate mail <laughs> uh, and it was also written by Michael Shaban and Alette Waldman. The synapses following an unconventional and dangerous transit. Picard and the crew finally arrive at Soji's homeworld. However, with Romulan warbirds on their tail, their arrival brings only greater danger as the crew discovers more than expected about the planet's inhabitants. Okay, Brent Spiner as Sung Sun. After I wiped the tears from my eyes that was brought on by sheer nerd nostalgia, the critic in me quickly took over, and I was a little hesitant. Because I can't help but get, I mean, it's Brent Spiner. It is. And the way Picard looked at him, I did, I got swept up in the moment. Yes, But then after the smoke settled, I'm like, all right, what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? I I was a little hesitant, only because I'm very cautious. Both of us are very cautious when it comes to Soong's legacy. Yes. Whether that be Data, Lore, or Soong himself. Soong has always been a rebel. His father was a rebel, an outlier, someone that didn't like humanities mediocrity they looked at it as flawed yes they preferred human exceptionalism and he found that various ways he was in many ways fashioned after the mad scientists in terms of literature made famous within the pages of the penny dreadfuls yes so this is something that's very crucial to the sungs in general so i was hoping sung sun would make some questionable decisions uh, the way they had introduced him. He seemed very straight and narrow and I'm like, all right. And we'll talk about the continuity issues in a second. Cause I know you're salivating over. They get into that, but I was happy, not happy. They introduced a son because of continuity issues, but if they did introduce Soong's son, I like that he was a character that immediately went to the gray science over humanity or perfection over humanity. Yes. And when we saw that Soong's son was the same way, okay, as Soong, I started to feel more comfortable with the writers bringing Soong's son into the story this way. Because it, it, it follows their, it follows their family line. I mean, Soong, uh, look at Eric Soong Eric and, and the decisions yeah. he made uh, in enterprise with the augments. Yeah, Eric Soon was utterly, utterly a evil scientist. He's oh, the evil scientist. Would I say, would you say evil, like as in the archetype? Because he wasn't, he wasn't, he, he wasn't was an the, evil person. He was the scientist that basically, say for example, developed the nuclear bomb. Yes, they, uh, he, he didn't he, think of the consequences. He didn't think of the consequences. Yes, that that I would agree with one hundred percent. The difference in his son when he created Data was. His creation came from an artistic point of view, from a from a love of his wife point of view. We're talking about uh, Noonien soon. Noonien soon. Yeah. And his his genius came from that. That came from more of an artistic side. And and like likewise said, his the, love for Juliana. The reason why Data is more, you know, kind hearted. Kind hearted yeah. and everything else. And, you know, then you get to this son and I'm like, going, I just like what you said. I like the fact that they basically continue the idea that the whole family is just a bunch of scientists that are mad scientists. Crazy. They choose science. They choose science. And exceptionalism over their own kind. Yeah, so I like that. And I like the fact that basically his son essentially basically just wants to take his mind and put it into a synth body. Is that the plan? That is the plan, right? That is the plan. I don't think that's what's going to happen. 
Well, we have some theories on we that. We have some theories on we'll that. We'll get into that a little bit later, but that is the plan. That's but what I such, got, yeah. It's such a, a, a cool, unique, but not so unique okay, but, thing to do for his, for that family. Okay, so why... Let's talk about this golem thing for a second, okay? The empty shell, and they want to transfer his consciousness or transfer consciousness into this shell, right? Yes. They acted as if it was never has never been done before, right? They kind of like, oh, is this Kate? Are you are you able to do this, right? But wasn't Nuni and Sung's wife Juliana Juliana yeah. an android created with the thoughts and memories of? Of his wife. Of his dead wife? Yeah. And she didn't even know she was an android? And she didn't know she was an android. That was the whole point of that story. I wasn't quite sure if I was reading it wrong, but it felt like it was something they weren't sure they could do. Could they transfer consciousness over to this golem? And if that's the case, then that's a big continuity issue as well. Yes. Right? Uh-huh. Okay. That, that, that's, that, that's one of the things I brought up. Is like, if you're going to well, write about the Soongs, like you, you got to know their history. There's a handful of episodes, bro. Like, Shaban, go binge like maybe five or six episodes, and guess what? Oh, wait, the Enterprise ones too. Yeah, maybe six or seven episodes, and guess what? You know more than you know now. <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah. It, it's one of those things that while I'm happy... Just like what you said, uh, when you see Brett Spiner, I immediately geeked out. Yeah. I oh, love yeah. Brett Spiner. He's awesome. Yeah. And I was really excited to see him back in Star Trek again, but and this time taking on like a different uh, different take on the Sung legacy. That was pretty nice. But because you did that, you brought so much questions now you, you, questions. Ra- you there's red flags that were raised and question marks presented that didn't really need to be there yeah honestly so yeah they got to be careful man because it, i wouldn't say they broke canon yet but they are they are bending they're bending it <laughs> oh they're and bending. if they put any more pressure it's gonna fucking snap and if that happens they are doing a limbo. you are gonna lose I'm telling you now, you're going to lose every single real Star Trek fan that watches this show. You're going to lose them. We will tolerate many things. But one thing I won't tolerate is the complete, just the complete disrespect of story canon. Hey, if you got to change a Klingon head. Or the Romulan heads, ah, fine. You want to change a computer console? I get it. We got to update the times, right? I get it. But there's no reason for you to ever break narrative canon. Narrative canon. There's yeah. no reason for there's that. There's no reason. So, all right. Sutra being a bit diabolical. I loved it. This does make a lot of sense as well. Taking into account the Soong legacy. Yes. Bits of Soong's more unflattering characteristics personality would in fact find its way inside his creations look at lore yes who was borderline homicidal if not completely homicidal and the question is sutra going to go all homicidal on organic life because in this episode we learned that the admonition drove humans crazy because it was a message not designed for organic life. Yes. It was a warning for synthetic life to warn them of human fear and how they will turn on them. Fear and jealousy. Right. And we learned that these messages come from a highly advanced artificial life that has been watching from afar. Is that the gist? Do I have it right? That is the gist. Okay. And are offering their assistance to any synthetic life that hears their message. So Sutra... After she mind-melded with Agnes, recovers this information and plans to call upon these ancient synthetics. Who are they, though, Dave? They sound very familiar. Yeah. They do. Uh, Kurtzman, in an interview, which is the overseeing lord of all Star Trek currently, in an interview for Discovery, when he was talking about the big bad, which we already know the big bad for Discovery was a super... AI, not just one. It was an entire legion of legion. baddies. Yes, control. Uh, he says in its analysis, it's sort 
of realizes this is a pop taking I'm paraphrasing his his interview here. Let me chop chop here. Hold on. Okay. So he talks up he's talking about control. And he says in its analysis, it sort it sort of realizes that organic life and human and alien inability to fully come together is efficient and that the best way to proceed is to eliminate all organic life. It won't be relying on anything we organic creatures need, and it will be an evolutionary step. So are we getting a connection here? Yes. I'm wondering the same thing. Are we getting a connection? And I feel yes. Yes, we are. So what came first? Okay. Now, control is in infinite. What was it called? There is a term that they use, the reason why discovery went so far into the future that they would never be found. Oh, I forgot the name of it. But the point is, is that they went so far into time that control would never be able to find them. Yes. That's why they left. And then all of their information, everything that happened, the mission was all scrubbed from Starfleet and Federation records so that no one can ever find them and find out what happened. So this message, was it left by the ancient AI? Is it the AI? Is it control? Now, we also know that this message was from a thousand years before and control was created during the time of the Enterprise, yes. Captain Pike, Spock, slight about what, five years before Kirk? Yes. So it doesn't really add up in terms of timeline. But I have to think we're getting some type of connection because why would you have two shows back to back dealing with the threat of AI? The threat of AI. Because it, it, exactly. Because like if you try to do that again without any connection, then it just seems like. You're just spitballing. It feels like you don't have any other ideas. Exactly. So now it could also be the opposite. Maybe this AI intelligence is superior and they are not bad. So we'll see because we don't know what to believe now. Yeah. Did they destroy that species of human or a species of uh, aliens? So there, there are some answers now or some questions that have been raised, but. Well, my, my main, the funny part is the one thing that I noticed was like, this was also very similar to not just Discovery's storyline with Control, but this is very, very similar to a certain Star Trek movie, Star Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. Yes. With V'ger. Yeah. And when Spock goes into and mind melds with the. Uh, goes into that black hole and mind melds with the artificial intelligence. That artificial intelligence sounds very similar to this artificial artificial intelligence that we're actually uh, introduced to a superior art- artificial intelligence waiting for a callback. They did that with V'ger. Yeah. They sent V'ger back because they wanted to actually have them call back and humanity was supposed to, merge in the end and that's why captain decker sacrifices himself to merge with viger yeah. to kind of achieve enlightenment not quite sure what's happening dave yeah yeah there's a lot of moving similarities parts. there's a lot of similar yeah moving parts yes but there's a lot of similarities um to past iterations of star trek that feel like it's just going to be conflicting if you keep going back to the ai thing like and that's yeah, why you have to connect it you have to kind of you kind of have to otherwise it just like why like why are you doing the exact same idea what was the point yeah uh there have been rumors now leaking of late from various blogs about an impending crossover with four different truck shows so they could be setting something up uh, allegedly uh, star trek discovery the new upcoming star trek series titled section 31 star trek picard as well as an untitled Star Trek show with Captain Pike and the Enterprise, is rumored to be all involved in an MCU-style crossover. That would that sounds cool. Sounds cool. Yeah, it does sound cool, but holy shit, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, so maybe they're building towards that. It will be interesting to see how it all pans out and we're gonna know next week we're gonna find out what this all means 
Hopefully. Hopefully. I'm hoping that they don't do a massive cliffhanger and we don't really learn much. All right. Bringing it back to Soji. Soji can be the data of this series. Let's parallel what we know of Sutra so far, who is essentially lore. Lore. Yeah. Soji can be the data of this series. The one synthetic that manages to bridge the divide between human and artificial, much like data did Uh, data's true legacy. That's what she can be. Uh, There was something special about data and they are not deviating from that idea, which is good. He evolved, surpassed his programming. Uh, He was the part of Soong that was pure and honest. It would be great if Soji ends up being that part of data. Yeah. And basically, because I don't think she's on board the plan of calling the AI. If anything, she maybe at that moment, but she's she's the lead of the series, debatably. Yeah. There's no way she's going to she's going to go along with Sutra's. You know, homicidal strategy. (laughs) And if and if they find out that she's the one who allowed Narek to murder one of their sisters. Oh, the jig's up for Sutra. The the jig would be up for Sutra and it'd be very similar. I see the storyline between Soji and Sutra very similar in parallel to Data and Lore. And I can I can see Soji. Uh, the reason why I understand Soji's decisions in this episode is because she's still a very naive character at this point, right? And also, she's Dave, still trying to get her footing. Yeah, and also she's desperate. I think she feels responsible for the Romulans finding their homeworld. Yeah. And so she's probably making decisions that maybe she might not have done otherwise. Well, that opening scene, dude, tells a lot. And one of the scenes that I did enjoy was seeing them finally arrive at the homeworld and Soji in showing emotion because ever since she found out she was an android, she's been very cold, very calculating. But suddenly when she she sees her homeworld, she's smiling and she's happy which is a site, a site of emotion, which I think was really telling. I mean, that was her drive. She felt just like what you said. She felt guilty that, oh my God, I might've killed my entire civilization. My sisters, essentially my entire, my entire race. And that was her drive. And seeing that moment of happiness to her reminds me of how like, data was getting used to his emotions, you know, where he had the emotion chip and he'd randomly laugh and cry and all that stuff because he didn't know how to control his emotions. The same thing with Soji. She's happy right now, but I think she's going to, the way that it, it kind of played out or looks like it's playing out is like Soji is learning that the choices that she makes have consequences and like that's why I'm with you right now. I don't think she's going to be too keen on finding Sutra's master plan, so to speak, and go go with it. Because it, at this point, Soji is just an innocent, naive character, and we all know with innocent, naive characters, you have to have that moment where they mature and kind of learn. And she kind of has throughout the season. Her naivety has definitely. Um, has been been her Achilles. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I do like that part about the episode as well. The whole parallel between Sutra and Soji. Yeah. All right. So the Romulans built their entire culture on the misinterpretation of a message. Good job, Romulans. Good job. <laughs> Your entire existence is a fucking lie. Oh. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, and I'm honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Same here. I, I mean, <laughs> what a way to destroy Romulans and make them look like a bunch of chumps, but like idiots. Yeah, they're idiots. Yeah, pretty much. But I get what they're doing here. It's a strong message. Look at it this way Your xenophobic and hateful ways was built on an ancient text that you interpreted wrongly. How many other peoples of earth can say the same thing about their religion? That's the only saving grace for that. In my opinion, it's a strong statement. It's a very strong statement. I like 
that they went that route because it's a very, very touchy subject for people. Right. Because, you know, like you but never think, want to question someone's religion. Well, I you think never. most people can understand that Catholicism murdered millions of people. Oh, yeah. You know, the Crusades, to name one one event and then let, let's not leave the uh, Islam out. I mean, they're still murdering people. They're still they murdering people, the and, you know, like treating people like crap. Yeah, and that's just the two go-tos. There's, there's history books are filled with people who said, who looked at some old text and said, "Hey, guess what? Someone told me to do this, and God uh, told me to do it this way." Yeah, the burning bush spoke to me. <laughs> are you sure you weren't high, Moses? And and honestly, I'm happy that they did something like that, uh, but because it it has it uh, it has two ways of going. You either look at the Romulans and go, this is so stupid because you just destroyed a culture of, of a race. Yeah. <laughs> just making you look like an idiot. Or you make it very relatable to say like everyday life. Right. Where you have religions that misinterpret their text. And this is classic Star Trek. And that's why I liked I yes. like that that message because that's what Star Trek does. It's more subtle. It isn't the, isn't the heavy handed moments that we've had a few times throughout this show. Star Trek's always a little has always been a little more subtle with their messages. Um, the title of the episode is pretty smart as well, and and you know what to look for, or you know what it means. It can clue you in on a few things potentially. Uh, the translation of et in Arcadia Ego means even in Arcadia, there am I. Uh, the usual interpretation is that I refers to death and Arcadia means an utopian land. So we can glean a little bit from there. Uh, now, I have a little clip here that I want to play from uh, the Art Institute about a painting because the Et in Arcadia ago was actually a painting it was a title of two paintings by a famous painter and there is some things you can derive from the image that may shed some light on the end game here of this series and we're looking at a Nicholas Poussin at In Arcadia Ego. We have four figures. We see ancient shepherds and a very classical female figure. Clearly based on ancient Greek and Roman sculpture, as are all the figures, actually. And that treatment of the drapery that looks back to ancient Greece and the classical period. Now, right in the center, the largest, most dominant form is a tomb, this huge, solid block of masonry. And a figure whose point at it and looks back at the female figure almost alarmed at what they're reading. There's a little ambiguity. Is it possible that they're having difficulty reading? Do they not know this language? Or, you're right, are they disturbed by the message? I, too, am in Arcadia, meaning even death is in Arcadia. And the landscape has a setting sun. There's a strong shadow on the tomb cast by the kneeling figure. And there's a real sense of a poetic passage of time. That issue of time is important. If you look at the tomb, it's not new. Although it's stone, it's been harmed over time. And so we get a sense that it is even more ancient than these ancient people. Mm -hmm. And this is a bridge back in time. You know, Poussin was so interested in the archaeology. So, essentially, this tombstone they're talking about, being older than the people that are in the painting, and that they're deciphering a message that disturbs them. Yes, I think that's pretty cool that they're using this painting to describe what's actually going on in this show. In the show. Because if you look at what they're, what they explained or verbatim, that is what the, uh, the Zot Vash, Vash. they're interpreting a message. They're interpreting a message that has disturbed them without, we don't have time to get into this painting, but if you continue to read about this painting, uh, there's a lot of different meanings that you can derive from this painting throughout the years. Different art historians have deciphered the meaning in their own ways. You know how artists do their thing. Yeah. There's some messages in there that are actually really cool that will give you some hints into what possibly Shaiban actually based most of his show on most of the season. This the ultimate 
endpoint for at least season one. So it's actually pretty cool. This is why I like Shaban. And that's why this season has disturbed me so much, much like these old people here reading the tombstone. I'm disturbed. <laughs> You're disturbed. Shaban is a, is a, is a thinker. Like everything I've read by him is, is smart. He has an introspective mind, but for some reason, he's just not connecting the dots with he, a TV show. He's not connecting the dots when it comes to the format, the format. That's yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah. The format of your show is muddled in a mess. You can be the smartest person in the room, but if you can't actually put your, your thoughts. That's right. Into paper. Your, your thoughts are going to be looked at as basically the ravings of a madman. Even Einstein couldn't tie his shoes. Yeah. All right. We're going to go to a very quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to jump into some seven of nine and Picard moments. We'll be right back. Double dumbass on you. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at (laughs) adamandeve.com. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am your captain. Uh, Please leave your trays and chairs in the upright position. And let's get ready for some seven of nine discussions. Oh, yeah, loosen the pants. All right, so... That moment, David, between Picard and Seven and Nine, did it feel like they were setting something up when she said, keep saving the universe, Picard, and he replied, that's up to you now? Or yeah, s- I got that too. Because, what, come on. like, And then it went to her and she made a face. I'm like, are they, are they going to do something with her? Like, is she going to have her own show now too? Dude, I'm telling you, Fenris Rangers. They should do a show like on the Fenris Rangers. I would be cool with that. Star Trek Fenris Rangers. Dude, that could be almost like a Deep Space Nine type show. Oh, yeah. And led by Jerry Ryan. Well, especially yes, now that she's, you know, Sarah Connor. <laughs> let's let's overlook that. She, she gave up <laughs> her, her computer nerd ways and her scientist ways. And now she's. Uh, no, no, she just holding... has. She just has to refine them. She's going to she's going to have to find them again. And basically she'll find her uh, cat suit and. Hopefully, what if the showrunner of like, let's say they do Star Trek Fitness Rangers and he's like, all right, um, Jerry Ryan, you're 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 in for this. Like, yeah, great. It's like a whole it's a different showrunner. Let's just call him Michael Flores. Okay? <laughs> and he's all like, all right, here we go. Day one of shooting. Uh, let's get you into wardrobe. And she'll be like, wait a second. Like, I'm going to be wearing the stuff from Voyager. But don't you think that's a little dated? No, 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 no. Take that. But but my character wears this now. No, 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 no. I figured we just, <laughs> you know, I'm a purist. Uh, you, your, your character just woke up and basically found herself dressed in that. Yeah. <laughs> and because I'm a Star Trek purist, you must wear what you wore in Voyager. I just, it's, I just got, it's for the fans. It's for, it's for the fans. It's not for me. It's not for me. <laughs> I'm a human man. Prick me. Do I not bleed? I'll start quoting like Shakespeare to convince her. Put on a cat suit. Do you, do you not make me hard? Oh, wow. <laughs> Touch my penis. Is it not hard? <laughs> oh, my God. What a bunch of 
skeevy fuckers. But you know what? I'm honest. Jerry Ryan. Dude, oh. she is so attractive. Even I, I think she's she, so attractive. I think she might. She's a different type of hotness now. Yeah. Like she was super like bombshell hot back in like Voyager days. But now she's like steamy, mature woman, just sensual as fuck. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, I, it amazes me that basically Jerry Ryan's not in more things because she is. No, she's in my dreams. Besides those, she, she doesn't have enough time to be anywhere else. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> no time for you. <laughs> All right. So overall, this episode was a lot of setup. And I believe you had touched on that, Dave, earlier in the show. Uh, but it still followed a typical act structure. You had your various acts and the proper emotions being driven by the plot were in the appropriate spots. I didn't have an issue with the structure of this episode. No. We had some moments that were a bit rough. The writers are going to need help next season. And I think we can say that now. Closing in on the on the final episode of the season. Some of their biggest issues are delivering proper motivation when needed for character choices. And dialogue or the timing of some of the dialogue is just too single serving it's designed to push the plot forward without bothering to disguise the conversation so that they feel more organic. For example, I mean, it was cringeworthy when Sutra is going to mind meld with Agnes. Yes. And Brent Spiner's character, uh, Ignito, <laughs> whatever his name is, Sung, says, oh, yeah, she's, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, she fancies herself a Vulcan. You know, she uh, she dabbling. She dabbles with the with the Vulcan culture. That's convenient. And talk about just exposition. Yes. Just to just to quickly explain. Oh, how is she pulling this off? Yeah, can you imagine you do disclaimers every time you want to? That's what it was. No, that's it, what it, it was. was. A, disclaimer a disclaimer to justify a moment that doesn't make sense. Yes. Oh, by the way, she dabbles in Vulcan. Okay, now we need this. Go ahead. Mind melt. Mind melt. <laughs> You're setting things up to solve problems that you wrote yourself into. It, it, there's problems, man. There are. And I do. I don't want to say I dislike the series, like I said a few episodes ago, because it's hard for me to hate Star Trek. It, dude, it takes a lot. So I don't, di- I don't dislike it, but I feel like this might be one of the worst Star Trek series. It's it's beautiful looking. There is good acting. Uh, the actors are great, but they need help from the writing side. From the writing side. They need they need to change things up. So whatever showrunner they get in there next season, uh, hopefully they will be a good mentor for the rest of that writing room or they bring in some more experienced writers. And it kind of blows me away because Akiva Goldsman is a old school movie guy. Like he has you know, made his bones in the, in the TV business. This guy is old school and he has been involved in some awesome projects. So I'm amazed that him being one of the executive producers is not kind of smacking people's hands and saying, Hey, guess what guys? Knock it off. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to give this episode a 75%. What about you, Dave? Okay. You talked me a little off the ledge. <laughs> talked me a little. So I'll raise it up a couple points. I'll raise it up a couple points. So what is it going to be? My final score for this is a 60. Okay. It's a 60. That's fair, Dave. I I originally was going into this guns a blazing and saying, I know dude. you you came walking in the studio at a very fast pace, which, you know, you never walk very fast. You were fast. (laughs) You were determined to get into that chair and just start talking shit. Yeah. Basically, I, I, I wanted you to talk me down, talk me down. And you did. I mean, there, there there are bonuses to this episode. Absolutely. We can't really put a, you know, big fail stamp on it until no. we see the full product, till we see the end. And part one made me want to go, still want to actually see where are they going to end this. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, uh, I brought it up. And uh, couple of like the member berries bring that up i mean brett brett spiner i love seeing him again i've always liked his work jerry ryan patrick stewart all the performances were really great 
The one thing that just really drags is the writing. Honestly, it's that one moment that you mentioned is like circled big on, on, on my notes is basically you just don't do that. You don't basically break the fourth wall. Essentially. That's what they were doing just to look at the audience and say, this is why she's doing it now on with the show. Cause that's what, that's what, <laughs> that's what it felt like to me when Brett Spiner just also turns and says, Oh, she's been actually dabbling in a little Vulcan culture. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, you're not talking to them. You're talking to the audience and that's bad. <laughs> yeah. And, but overall, that's what's dragging me down is kind of like this questioning of certain continuity errors that they had, you know, the whole bringing into question Sung's legacy. I'm a little, little touchy about that. And then it, it just goes into like what I was saying, the death by a thousand cuts. Once you actually make one big mistake, you start, I found myself finding little errors that were irritating me. Like, uh, the one that, that, that you explained happens. to me that can happen really fast. It can happen really fast. You're kind of you just keep getting frustrated, and then you start nitpicking, and you start nitpicking. And I found yeah. myself nitpicking the episode, and that's why uh, that's why I told you is I honestly feel like this is the one Star Trek episode that is my least favorite. It's by far to me the worst one out of the entire Picard series right now. Even more so than like, uh, I believe it. You're right. It was episode seven that we were like saying, "Man, that it was rough." <laughs> but I'm gonna give it a shot. Stay positive, but overall, again, it's it's a sixty to me. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, you know what? This does take us to the end of our show, and I want to thank everyone for bearing with us hopefully we're talking other people off the ledge and hopefully we're not pissing off people who adore this show you can definitely adore it um but uh, just know that it's not written very great also if you want to hear more of our discussions and our pre-show our exclusive from the holodeck pre-show head over to our patreon page patreon.com slash rainman digital we don't make a lot of money doing this uh, and we put a lot of effort and funds into it. We're an entire radio network, uh, and we rely on donations. That's how we make our money, because good luck making money on ad revenue. Ask around. It's for chumps. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge 3 to $5 a month and gain more Star Trek discussions, including a plethora of additional content from other shows. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.